Oh, that's great to be here. And um, uh, John and Robert, thank you. Just being up here is quite a thing. And, and yeah, it's a lovely thing to hear just a snippet of your story and appreciate you giving that. And family and friends who come in support of uh, John and Robert, it's, don't ever minimize what you have done today. Because it is really significant that you are here and supporting them at this time. So thank you for coming, particularly if this is not what you're used to. Uh, So um, I simply want to take a few minutes to explain what baptism is and why we celebrate it in such a raucous manner. So is that all right we go with that, folks? So uh, why do they do all this? You know, what's the shouting for and all that? Goodness, not very British, is it? So I'm going to read from Matthew's Gospel, and, uh, which is going to be in Matthew 28, and then we're going to pick up with that. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. Words will come up on screen. If you have got a Bible, it's always helpful to find your way around it. So Matthew's Gospel. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's is the first. 28 is the last chapter of uh, Matthew's Gospel. Verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, it's significant words. And you normally have significant words, significant moments. It is the very last words that Jesus spoke as recorded by Matthew. So this is after Jesus has died, been raised from the dead, and before he ascends into heaven... This is what he says. So when you've got significant moments, and obviously what's significant is the last thing that Matthew decided to write in his gospel. When you've got moments like that, you, you often have significant words. And I, you know, life is full of significant moments. So as I was thinking about this, I remember the first time uh, one of my children who passed their driving test, and they're about to drive off that evening not the evening they passed, but they were going to, in that, one of the evenings, they're going to drive off and have an evening with their mates in my car. Uh, uh, wave your hands if you have been there. Just a little. Oh, there's a few of you who haven't. You are in for fun. I, uh, yeah, I, I feel slightly smug. I have been there. Got the t-shirt. Let me tell you, for those of you who haven't, it's a heart-in-the-mouth moment. It is a heart-in-the-mouth moment. You know, so what are you going to say? What are you going to say as that 17-year-old, brimming with confidence, tossing the keys up, your keys, by the way, uh, and your car, as he walks down the driveway and uh, already thinks... He is the most brilliant driver at 17, and for whom a lack of confidence is not an issue. So, uh, what are you going to say? I, do you know, and I can't remember what I said. 
I can't remember what I said, but it must have been simply like this. I must have pleaded. You know that? Oh, please. Please, son, please, please, just please. Drive carefully. And make sure you're here back 11 o'clock, no later. I want to sleep tonight. This is, how, no, I mean, this is, how, this is pre-mobile phone days, by the way. So have a think about that. Or when you leave, the, leave your children in the house for the first time without an adult and your final words. I wonder what your final words are. Don't you dare do anywhere near that cooker. Don't you dare. I don't want any climbing out of the windows, particularly the upstairs one. We had to use that. And, uh, um, and, and, and a sort of parting shot is, now, don't do anything stupid and don't argue. Now, it depends what your children are like, but um, that last statement might be asking them not to breathe. So, final, final moments, a significant moments, words, and it's not as if Jesus is short of profound words. And he sums up the essence of everything he's about. And he sums it up, you know, the whole mission of Jesus' life. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Making disciples, following Jesus, involves baptism. It's what followers of Jesus do. We're doing nothing unusual today. It's not go and make disciples, and then some really committed people might go the extra mile and get baptized. It's, no, 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 it's not that. You know, the spiritually baptized ones. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't say that. Quite clearly here it says, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's the way it goes. This isn't a Jewish thing. This isn't a a contemporary British fad. It isn't that. It isn't particular to any specific nation. This is what followers of Jesus do. Let me tell you, it's the normal Christian life. You don't have to wait for a special moment. You don't have to wait for a special word or in our feeling-orientated culture, a special feeling to get baptized. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be a Christian for years and then get baptized. This is it. Follow Jesus, believe, repent, be baptized. It's quite simple. You know, it's, um, I remember particularly the day my wife, Des, she got baptized and I remember the size of the spiders in the pool. I mean, they were big. I just want to let you know this is spider-free. Is uh, it is spider-free. So, um, but I do remember it. We, and she did that. I did that. We heard the message. Got on with it. Now, if you read the life of the early church, it's exactly what they did. Repent. Be baptized. You follow the book of Acts, it just carries on going. It's, I mean, it's, that's, that's what they did. I spoke to a couple of, quite a while ago, and I asked them, why had it taken you so long to get baptized? And they said to me, well, we didn't know if we were good enough. We didn't know if we were good enough. Now, the, now the goodness thing is about what Jesus has done for you. Not about what you do. It's the Jesus thing. 
in your life. He's done it. He's done it. And we, or we didn't know we were mature enough. No, repent. Get baptized. People have done it. This is how you follow Jesus. So uh, millions of people have done this. So what does it signify? So just briefly, three things. You, okay, we get wet. That's the first you get wet. I know this is so wild, Neil. This is so obvious. Uh, I don't want to leave anybody behind it. You see, so so you get wet, you get buried, and you are not your own. That's what we'll look at. You get wet, you get buried, you're not your own. So firstly, water. I mean, to state the obvious, water is how you get clean. You go in dirty, you come out clean. You go in dry, you come out wet. You come out different to how you went in. Actually, that is the essence. You come out different to how you went in. This is a step of faith that a believer takes. You come out different to how you went in. The Apostle Paul, who uh, you'll find... Uh, most of his story in the book of Acts. And God m- encounters this man. And then he sends a man called Ananias. And An- Ananias tells the Apostle Paul, This is the future direction of your life. So he gives him purpose and meaning right from the start. And then he says to him, This is three days after he's met Jesus. He says to him, And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Calling on his name. That's that's Paul's story. Wash your sins away. You know, just as I'm standing here now, this might be you. What are you waiting for? It's just a thought here. What are you waiting for? Wash your sins away. God's forgiveness is immensely powerful. Margarita Lasky, a humanist, and once said in a TV debate with a Christian, she said, what I envy about you Christians most is your forgiveness. And then she said, with some sort of personal longing there, I have no one to forgive me. Things we have said, shame we have experienced, the disappointment of the way that we've led our lives and then what we've done. Do you know, all washed away because Jesus died on the cross and the Bible says he died for our sins. He took it. He took it. He took something that you cannot take. On the cross in the eyes of the world, Jesus became worthless so that you might be worthy. One pastor went to a national prayer day and he heard the story of a young, of a church leader that had led leaders of a rival gang to Christ in his particular city. And in particular, the baptism of one of the boys. Now the pastor was going to sprinkle him with water, but the, but the kid wanted to be baptized that the word is baptizo. It, it means immersed. It means immersed. And the kid wanted to be immersed, baptized in the river. So the pastor said that when he looked at the kid's face underwater, he could see a broken nose. And when he lifted the boy out of the water, 
the boy just clung to him. And he wept and he wept and he wept. And after he finally regained his composure, he said to the pastor, this is only the second time in my life I have ever cried. The first time was the night my dad broke my nose. The church leader said, I baptized him in water and he baptized me in his tears. And they washed away all that stuff in his life. The, bio, the, the baptism is a washing. Baptism washing, my friends, we come out different to how we go in. Now the second thing is that baptism is a burial. So in the burial we are saying that what happened to Jesus happened to me. It's like a reenactment. He died and it's an, an, a reenactment of my life. I died too. I died to that way of life. He was raised. He was raised from the dead. I've been raised to new life. That's that's the whole that's a really important significance of baptism. It's mostly understood that it means you're buried. You are buried underwater. If you've ever been to a funeral and it's not a cremation, but you've been to a funeral and you see the coffin go down into the ground, buried, it really has a powerful impact. That moment when you see the coffin go down, you are buried. You, that person is buried. It's really important. You see, you're buried under the water and you come out of the grave to new life. That's, it's the story of what Jesus has done for you. This is where the early church practiced baptism. They left their old life down there in the water and they buried it. And then they lifted again to new life. My friends, this is a key significance of baptism. That's why the apostles, Paul says, remember your baptism. Can you remember your baptism? Just raise your hands if you can remember your baptism. Just raise your hands if you can. Okay. Remember your baptism. It's more than just, it's just the date. It's, it's remembering what God has done for you. He says, remember it. In other words, don't forget it. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you. Your old life, buried. You are a person, a new life. That's, that's the gospel. I'm a new person in Christ. I bury that corrupt, rebellious life towards God. Now listen, I'm still going to make mistakes. I've still got much to learn. But the whole direction of life has changed completely. That stuff's gone. I've risen to new life. Remember your baptism. Now because Christ died for us, not only do we receive forgiveness of sin, but we receive power. To live a new life. You can't live this life without the power of God. It's not turning over a new leaf. I can't tell you how many new leaves I turned over. It's the most gardening I've ever done in all my life. I, I can't tell you. I just to over. But this is not that. That's the old way of life. Or trying to be a better person. No, the rising again is the significance of a new life in Christ. It's not, a, it's not a reinvention of me. It's new. Remember your baptism. So it's a washing. It's a burial. And a resurrection, of course. New life. 
And it signifies you are not your own. This is very important. You are not your own. So in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, Paul uses this phrase, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Now that, that was in a context there and it works through the whole of your Christian life. This is a centerpiece to Christianity. If you want a centerpiece, this is it. You are not your own. You know, you think about all the major ceremonies in life, they have invariably the essence of you are not your own. So you, let's start with a christening or as we do dedications. I won't go into the difference in the two. We won't have time for that. But um, when, we, when we have dedications here, in that ceremony, we essentially, we state the child belongs to God. Belongs to you. I am not my own. You are not your own. And then adoption. If you took this ceremony of adoption, the child is given over to someone else. You are not your own. If you take the situation of marriage, for instance. Marriage, and um, I wonder if we can have that picture up. Oh, the marriage one, please. So, uh, I, I, I like this couple. I do. That's a nice couple. Uh, my wife has fared better than I have. Ah, uh, just take a look at that. That's how to wear clothes, I tell you. So, uh, hey, how to look at... Anyway... <laughs> Yeah, that is me. That is, I've been asked at the front, is that me? And yeah, and the, and the broom under my nose is mine. I, I'm homegrown, homegrown. Listen, I used to go further than that. I, I had a Russian beard at one time. Not stuck on, you just homegrown. So anyway, this is true, isn't it, Christine? Do you remember that? You remember Anyway, they didn't know it was me then either when I had shaved that off. But uh, Right. So just a little bit of connection with you people here. Yeah. Uh, we made vows uh, 42 years ago. Yeah, we made vows 42 years ago. And we said, for better, for worse. And we said, for richer or poorer. And we said in sickness and in health. And we said forsaking all others. And those vows in essence mean I am not my own. I belong to another. See all the major ceremonies of life. I am not my own. Even in the funeral ceremony. We entrust the person to God if they're a believer. Or to dust, dust of the ground. You are not your own. You are not your own. I tell you, it's the centerpiece of Christianity. I'm no longer a slave to my desires, my passions. I'm no longer in fear of death and anxious about all of this. I am not my own. I tell you, it's the most freeing thing in the world. I am not my own. I belong to another. It absolutely signifies baptism. When they're in the pool, Robert, John, when you're in the pool, the words will go something like, do you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? It'll be along those sort of lines. And hopefully you guys will go, yes. All right, and then, uh, because this could be an embarrassing moment if you did And anyway, 
And then we would say, because of your profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We baptize you into God. You are not your own. You are not your own. You belong to another. In the time of the early church, the ritual of baptism was a lot more illustrative. I can assure you that. I read one particular account. I have really looked into this, by the way. Where you... That sounds bad before I'm going to tell you. I've read, I've read this. I've read this. Okay. And, um, and part of the ritual would be that you would take off your old clothes and stand there naked. Now, you can see why we don't do this, can't you? You've immediately got that bit. And, and, uh, and we, we would not be tomorrow's news. We'd be tonight's news. Yeah, so, anyway, they would take up to, I think the women had an enclosure, uh, by the way, and the men had an enclosure. And, uh, but but it, was, it, it signified, I'm leaving that behind. And they would go into the enclosure, the pool, whatever, naked, and they would, they would renounce Satan, and they would confess their sins, and they would put their trust in Jesus Christ. And then they would come out and they would be dressed in new clothes, white clothes, signifying what God has done in their lives. You are not your own. You are not your own. It's a little different today. You'll be pleased to know that. And so will John and Robert will be pleased to know. But, you know, if I am my own, it's not good news. I've tried this. It's not good news. I, I, I can't trust me. I know what I'm like. I can't control my destiny. I can't pay for my sins. I'm unable to put right all the wrongs I have done. And the people I've hurt, those I've crushed, made distraught, those I've offended, and the ones I meant to offend, and the ones I didn't mean to offend. I can't do it. If I'm going to belong to someone, it might as well be someone who can actually save me. A savior. Can save me from myself. It's down to me. I'm in big trouble. But I'm not my own. And neither is John his own. And neither is Robert his own. They belong to Jesus Christ. Why do we celebrate it in such a raucous manner? Because it's a great celebration. Amen? It's a great celebration. So my friends, remember your baptism. And for a few of you here, it may be, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You need to talk to somebody about this and get baptized.